Hey, everybody. I don't know if you've heard, but we have a book coming out. Finally, finally, after all these years. It's great. It's fun. You're going to love it. It's called Stuff You Should Know, colon, an incomplete compendium of mostly interesting things. Yep. And it's 26 jam-packed chapters that we wrote with another guy named Nils Parker, who's amazing and is illustrated amazingly by our illustrator, Carly Minardo. And it's just an all-around joy to pick up and read. Even though we haven't physically held in our hands yet, it's like we have, Chuck, in our dreams so far. I can't wait to actually see and hold this thing and smell it. And so should you. So pre-order now. It means a lot to us. Uh, The support is a very big deal. So pre-order anywhere books are sold. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Scoop Bryant. Uh, And this is Stuff You Should Know, one of our infrequent true crime editions. So if you don't like true crime, probably shouldn't listen to this one because it's about true crime. And all the crime that goes along with it. And uh, big time trigger warnings on this one. Uh, If you have family members who have been sexually assaulted or kidnapped, or if you have children... Uh, that you care about at all, and they're even safe in your home. This might be pretty upsetting for you, as it as it was for me. Yeah, it is a it's a very sad case, just in and of itself. I mean, we're talking about the disappearance of a girl um, who was 19 at the time. Her name was Tara Calico, and uh, she disappeared in New Mexico from the area where she lived. Um, and just that, just the fact that she's she's never been found. Like she basically vanished almost without a trace. Um, that's just sad enough. And the, the more you dig into the story, it's very sad. But it also has some, like, this extra couple of layers that your average, like, true crime missing person, probably murdered person story goes that make this case, like, one of the most fascinating recent true crime uh, cases that that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. I know you didn't like this one at all. No, it was pretty upsetting. So uh, you feel like you can make it through this one? I think so. It should be a laugh riot. <laughs> right, as usual. Um, so, Chuck, let's just kind of give some background on this case for everybody who's not familiar, okay? Yeah, here's the deal. Uh, and, you know, Ed uh, help, helped us put this together, and he takes great pains to point out uh, quite a few times that we don't know exactly all the facts, but we know what we know from accounts from uh, Tara's mom and a little bit from some other family members and a little bit from the case uh, files, although I don't think all of those are available still. But uh, I, I don't know. I saw otherwise. It, like, that's, that's the problem with true crime is like, especially in the age of the internet, stuff just gets piled on with different yeah. weird facts that may or may not be true. And, you know, down to, the fa- down to like, are the case files still intact? That kind of thing. But yeah, so so I think your larger point is we're we don't exactly know all of the details, right? Yeah, what we do know is that in 1988, on September 20th, uh, she went for a bike ride. She was <laughs> athletic and took these very long bike rides, anywhere from 15 to 30 something miles, on a regular basis. Uh, she was a 19 years old, a smart mm-hmm. smart young woman, and a student at University of New Mexico, and yep. was living in. Uh, a place called, I guess, Belen, New Mexico, B-E-L-E-N. Mm-hmm. 
uh, took or, this. I think it's Belen. Belen. I think so. Yeah, I think I heard somebody say it like that. Okay, and she uh, left at nine thirty for this bike ride and was last seen at eleven forty-five on Highway Forty-Seven, which is kind of the standard route that she usually took, apparently. Yeah. Um, and there are just a couple other details about Taro. Um, she was, like you said, she was an intelligent person. Um, I believe she was a sophomore at, uh, at in college, and she was studying psychology or psychiatry, one of the two. I don't think she decided yet, but she was in the field of psychology, and she was a bank teller, too. And when she headed out that day, um, it's very widely reported that she had told her mom, uh, if I'm not back by noon, come looking for me. Um, I saw that mostly reported that she had said it kind of playfully, jokingly, in jest, that kind of thing. Not that she had set out that day going, knowing that she was going to meet her, her grim fate. Um, but that she had a Walkman with her, too, and that she was playing Boston. And I can only assume because she was out for a bike ride that she was listening to Boston's self-titled debut album, which has Don't Look Back in it, which would be excellent for riding your bike, too. Uh, in 1988, maybe so. Or it could have been the new one. It could have been. There's several that they released afterward. But well, Boston, she was listening to Boston. Just remember that. That's right. And she was on her mom's bike, uh, her Huffy bike, and she had a white T-shirt, uh, First National Bank of Bel-Ann, and white shorts, green stripes, uh, white socks, tennis shoes, a butterfly ring uh, with a diamond insert, a amethyst stone ring, and then earrings, a half-inch half inch loop earrings. Yep. And she was last seen, Chuck, from what I, from what I understand, on her way back from her bike ride along Highway 47. Um, about, I think, like 11.45 a.m. or something like that. Um, and then that was, that was it. Like, she was just riding along, listening to her headphones last time she was seen. The only other detail that um, adds, like, a, a very cryptic twist to that last sighting is that she was reported um, being followed, it looked like, by an old-timey truck, like one from, like, the 50s. I think a Ford truck, um, like some weird color, like a, a dirty gray or something like that. Yeah, and the the cops, and there will be a few different people working on this case, as is usually the case when it's missing persons. Uh, different agencies get involved. But in this case, Valencia County Sheriff uh, Romero, his name is Lawrence Romero, mm-hmm. he said that they found some bicycle tracks uh, about four miles south of where she lived. And it looked like to them that they uh, the bicycle had been dragged off the side of the road and then back. And they immediately thought that was pretty suspicious. And then when you put it together with the uh, the details of this pickup truck, then uh, it was all of a sudden a, a pretty serious case to them. Right. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, if, if uh, you can't find a girl, she doesn't show up home um, when she says she's going to. And she makes that joking, cryptic thing. Of course, it's going to terrify her mom. And it did terrify her mom. Her mom's name was Patty Dole. Um, and Patty was married to John Dole, and um, through John, Tara had two step-siblings, Chris, uh, her brother, and her sister, stepsister Michelle. Um, and just immediately, Patty was very, very worried when Tara didn't show up at home. And then once the, once the evidence started coming in, she got increasingly worried. And probably the most tragic figure in this entire story um, 
is Patty. Because from the moment, like, she started to get worried till the day she died in 2006, um, she was worried. She was overwrought by this. Like, it just took her over and consumed her. Um, But one of the things, to her credit, for sure, as we'll see, is that she didn't just, like, collapse and buckle and and give in, which she would have—it would have been very understandable had she done that. She instead channeled a lot of that fright and worry and concern into action and spent, like, the, the most of the rest of her life working tirelessly trying to figure out what happened to her daughter, find some evidence, bring her home. I don't think she ever gave up the, the, um, the idea that, that Tara might still be out there um, or, at the very least, bring, bring her killers to justice. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Tara for the most tragic figure in this story, but <laughs> it was very sad what happened uh, with her mom. Uh, she died... In 2006, um, never getting any answers. Her biological father died in 2002. Um, her stepfather, you know, like anyone, still holds out hope, although he, you know, he readily admits this is from 1988 and the chances are, are almost zero that anything is ever going to come to fruition about this. But yeah. he did have uh, – she did have family that was looking out for her, you know, basically the rest of their lives. Yeah, for sure. And her sister, Michelle, is still carrying that on. Like, after uh, Patty died in 2006, Michelle kind of took over Patty's um, role of just trying to figure figure out what, what happened, trying to keep the story and uh, the case in the press. Um, and actually, uh, while she was alive, Patty and her husband, John, uh, managed to get deputized by the Valencia County Sheriffs. <clears throat> so they were, they were actually... Um, allowed to carry guns. They were allowed to contact other law enforcement agencies on behalf of the Valencia County Sheriff's Department um, to to investigate the case. Um, That's the kind of like the level of dedication that that they went to, um, which is pretty, pretty cool. That's, you know, how they channeled that. Yeah, the the sweet uh, late 80s when you needed to be deputized to carry a gun. (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. Because when I read that, I was like, it really took that back then? That's yeah, amazing. you'd think so. New Mexico, man, they have it locked down out there. So as far as clues go, they're pretty scant. Uh, that's one of the most frustrating things about this case. Uh, there are reports that they did find a Boston cassette tape uh, a few miles from where she lived on that highway, mm-hmm. and then a piece of uh, a Walkman at a campground 19 miles away uh, that is, seems like a bit of a stretch to me. It was a long way from Highway 47, but you never know. Um, but there wasn't any, like, they didn't prove necessarily that that was her tape or part of her Walkman or anything like that. No, they didn't. Um, but the I saw in a couple of places, this is one of those examples of the facts getting convoluted. I saw that the Boston tape was found with the front of her Walkman at the same location. Um and then also I saw that it was found elsewhere. So who knows? Um, but that is like one of, like even that one tangible fact is still questionable. And you can't even necessarily link it directly to her, like you were saying. Um, and that was it. But that, that's all that was found. They didn't find either of her rings. They didn't find her shoes. They never found her bike. They never found anything except for those bike tire marks, um, which seemed to be like a bike being dragged rather than ridden. Uh, and then that Boston tape, and maybe or not a piece of the, the the Walkman. And again, who knows if that was her stuff or not? And they searched like like they searched the area pretty pretty thoroughly, from what I understand. 
Yeah, I mean, anytime uh, there's a missing persons like this, you you have the big line of people marching through the woods. It's one of the saddest things that you can see in a movie or TV show. And I can't, I've never seen one in real life. Never want to see one in real life. But it's uh, it's one of the saddest things you can witness is people literally combing a field or the forest for uh, for the body of somebody. For sure. So this, uh, well, should we take a break? Yeah, I think it's break time. All right, let's take a break here, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that happened after the disappearance, right after this. So we mentioned uh, this truck, this pickup truck. Uh, that's vehicle number one in this case that you need to sort of take note of. Uh, vehicle number two is a white van with no windows, which those are always a little bit scary. Uh-huh. This was in 1989, uh, June 15th, so less than a year after her disappearance in Port St. Joe, Florida. And wait a minute, wait a minute. <clears throat> Chuck. How would a white van in Port St. Joe, Florida, a year later, have anything to do with the disappearance of Tara Calico a year earlier in New Mexico? Well, it may or may not, um, but there was a little piece of evidence potentially that was left behind. Uh, This woman comes out of the convenience store, the van drives away, and then she looks down and notices a Polaroid on the ground um, that looked like it was inside of a white van. I think they later determined it was, in fact, from inside a van. And on the uh, inside of the the van, it was taken sort of from outside, looking in through the side door probably, were mm-hmm. a couple of kids on some blankets and pillows, a young boy around 10 and a young woman um, that looked like she was probably a mid to late teenager. And they were uh, looked to be bound. Their hands were behind their back, although you couldn't see rope necessarily. But I don't see why you would assume anything else. They had duct tape over their mouth. Uh, and they were kind of well tanned, and it's pretty pretty disturbing, messed up picture. It's an extremely disturbing picture. Um, it's 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 a, a alarming actually. Like when you see this and it sinks into what you're looking at, it's a deeply alarming picture. Especially when you realize that like this is real. This was really found in a junior food store parking lot in 1989 in Port St. Joe, Florida. Like some poor lady like came across this picture and was i'm sure just terrified and the picture is is significant enough that the the moment they found it and like was it was reported to authorities they started setting up roadblocks around the county gulf county florida to try to find this white van that the 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 woman who found the picture had had seen parked in that parking spot when she came when she went in and was gone when she came out and found the picture um so like it was it's a very alarming picture and a, a lot of people um said i think that's tara calico and the reason that uh tara calico found her family found out about it is because a family friend had seen it on a current affair like this photo was so alarming and so sinister um and also so inexplicable, too. Uh, it was not immediately traced to anybody. It was not, no one came out immediately. It was like, oh, no, 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 that was a hoax. We were just kidding, that kind of thing. Um, that it ended up on TV. And uh, very quickly, I guess Tara Calico's mom 
uh, had seen the the current affair episode and said that's that's Tara. And so for from that moment on in 1989 until today, uh, it's that photo's forever been linked to the Tara Calico case, whether that's Tara or not. Yeah, and there were a couple of other uh, points about this picture. Um, clearly visible next to the young woman was uh, the V.C. Andrews book, My Sweet Audrina. Um, you know, V.C. Andrews wrote Flowers in the Attic and those kind of uh, disturbing horror slash, uh, I guess, I mean, I don't know if they were horror, but uh, they were, they, most of yeah. those books were about bad things that happened to kids. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And those, I would say horror is, is apt. Yeah, horror books. Yeah. And the other thing is that the young boy in the picture, uh, a family immediately kind of came forward and said, hey, we think that that is uh, our son, Michael Henley. Um, mm-hmm. He disappeared on a camping trip in New Mexico in 1988 as well. Mm-hmm. And I am, just as the mom talking, said, basically, I'm just sure that's him. Um, that was later kind of found out to not be true because about a year after that, they found his body um, death to exposure. So it, it became pretty clear that he got lost in the woods and died out there. Yeah, because his body was found not very far from the camping site that he disappeared from. So the chances that he had been abducted from that camping site, um, kept in a van, taken to Port St. Joe, Florida, and then taken back to New Mexico, or even just abducted and, and kept in New Mexico, the chances are pretty slim. The chances are far higher that he wandered off and died of exposure. And that's what the coroner finally came up with, too, uh, ruled as, as Michael Henley's death. But the fact that Michael Henley disappeared in New Mexico and that Tara Calico disappeared in New Mexico and that the two people, the the young woman and the boy in this picture, resembled those two, just has, like I said, it's inextricably linked that photo to this, um, this case. Uh, and Tara's mom apparently said, forever that that she was sure that that was her daughter um she's there's a discoloration on um the girl in the photo's leg uh that tara's mom um said matched her daughter's scar from a a car accident that she'd gotten in um and i believe her sister has said also she said uh if you had to ask me if i had to say yes or no if that's tara in the photo i would say yes but i also realized that you know this that that makes zero sense. That doesn't. It just doesn't make sense for this case. Um, but that photo, Chuck. I feel like there, you know a lot of people link that photo to this case. But that photo is not even you know guaranteed to be real. There's a lot of points that people have raised over the years that say I don't know if this is actually a photo of what it what it seems to be depicting. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with any of those points either, to be honest. Well, uh, one of the big ones is that it's never been matched to any missing person ever, right? Um, there's No one's ever come forward on the one hand and said, this is just a hoax, we were just kidding. Um, you can call off your search. Uh, but on, this, on, on the other hand, no one's ever said, this is, this is that boy and this is that girl that's missing. So it seems unlikely that a family would be unaware of that picture, uh, a family that had taken that picture as a hoax would be unaware of it and not come forward. But it's doubly unlikely that two different families with two different kids that had been abducted would not be familiar with that picture and be like, that's our son or that's our daughter. Right. That's a big one to me. Yeah. What uh, else? There was another one where someone said that her legs appeared to be shaved 
And I think uh, some people might surmise that that would be unusual for an abduction victim. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't buy that, but that's what some people think, evidently. Okay. Uh, there's also, if you look closely, um, the 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 people in the photo's shoulders aren't distressed, right? They're not in like a, dis- a stressed position. They're actually kind of relaxed. And if the if they were bound, because um, remember the bindings aren't aren't visible in the photo. If they were bound, their shoulders would be pinned back a lot further than they are um, in that photo. So it suggests that they might not actually be bound. Right, and that's possible, I guess. And then the last one that I saw was the tape. That uh, it should be much redder around the the tape on their faces um, than it is if they've been wearing that tape for any significant amount of time. Yeah, I don't get that one. Um, I don't know why that it's assumed that they had to be wearing the tape for a significant amount of time because they were wearing it in the picture. Well, I don't know that it's saying like, like, oh, well, that proves that they weren't actually abducted or being held hostage. I think what they're saying is that suggests that it had just recently been put on. Yeah, which you know I, I believe if someone was going to open the door to the van to take a picture of two bound children that they had snatched, they would probably put tape over their mouth before they opened the door. Would be my guess. The the thing to me, the one point of all that 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 just strongly suggests to me that that picture is not actually real, is that it is never since being discovered in 1989, since being broadcast on a current affair, Oprah, America's Most Wanted, being all over the internet, that no one has managed to link it to either the the boy or the young woman in that picture. Uh, to a missing person. Yeah. That no one, no one besides the Tara Calico's family, besides her family, has come forward and been like, no, 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 that's our daughter. Um, that that to me says that, I, I, I don't know, I, don't, I think it's, I think it might be a, a hoax, I guess. I hate that word these days, but I think that's what it is. Yeah, and we also didn't point out that the uh, Tara's mom said that um, that book in the picture was her favorite book. Um so, you know, who knows? It, it was definitely a, an interesting piece of evidence if that was her favorite book. Do you think that that was Tara Calico in the picture? Or do you think you just think that the picture was real? That wasn't necessarily her. I didn't study it, and I don't want to go on record uh, for having an opinion on whether or not that was her. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, one thing we do know, though, is that, you know, this this picture, like we said, it's, it's alarming enough that—, that um, the FBI got involved. It was broadcast on national television in Polaroid. It was a Polaroid, one of those, um, the ones that you wave in the air uh, to, to develop in just a few minutes. It was that kind of Polaroid. Uh, and Polaroid analyzed it and said this this film that this was taken on, this film stock wasn't available until May of 1989. So that that couldn't that picture couldn't have been taken before May of 1989. Um, so. That's the picture, and it's not necessarily connected to the Tara Calico case, although as far as the world is concerned, especially the world of online sleuths, it is in some way or another always going to be connected to the Tara Calico case from now on. Yeah, and there were some other pictures over the years that have come out that um, are also not connected, yet somehow connected because of the Internet. And yeah. there was uh, there was one that was a couple of people joking around on a train. Uh, it looks like a young woman and a, a guy a little bit older. Um, and to me, it just looks like two people goofing around on a train. For sure. I'm not sure why it's so sinister. Uh, the other one is uh, another young woman with tape over her mouth. 
and there's a similarity, uh, similarity to the striped pillow as that Polaroid, and it was found in California at a construction site, but you can't um, – you can't really identify much about her at all. And I think the only reason it's connected is because, hey, it's another picture of a young woman with tape on her mouth. Yeah, it looks vaguely like her. And that's that's not it. Like if you go onto Reddit or Web Sleuths or any of these online forums uh, about this case, there's at least m- several other photos that have been associated over time that seemed to just be like, here's an amateur BDSM photo that somebody took and I found somewhere and I think that's Tara Calico and this is evidence rather than this is just somebody's picture from, you know, a wild Saturday night or something like that. Right, for sure. The internet definitely has that effect for sure. So, Chuck, before, um, I guess this is a pretty good place to put an ad break, huh? And then maybe we'll come back and talk about conspiracies. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, we'll be right back, everybody. So there are a couple of conspiracies that have emerged over the years since then, uh, many, many years later. In 2008, uh, the sheriff of Valencia County at the time, uh, Rene Rivera, said that he had some information about what happened, and he was just waiting to release this information. He wanted to build an airtight case, get all the evidence in, perhaps even locate her body. And uh, here, here was the quote. The information I have is that the truck accidentally ended up hitting her. Uh, I believe the truck bumped her bike, at which time she fell to the side of the road. From there, the individuals took her. And yeah, remember the, the truck that he's referencing is that truck that was supposedly following her when she was last seen at like 11.45 a.m. That's right. And that uh, she was killed later on, uh, maybe because she threatened to call the cops or something, and that there could be a couple of extra people involved in this case. Right. So he said, but I'm not going to be arresting anybody because we don't have a body yet and I want to have a body. Um, So I'm just going to sit here and hold press conferences instead. And um, John Dole, Tara's stepfather, came out publicly and was like, that was the dumbest thing I've heard in a very long time. Like, okay, if if you want like an airtight case and you need to find Tara's body to do that, fine. But don't publicize everything else you know because... To John Dole, that was that seemed like a bit of a warning um, to the to the suspects that were out there. Uh, at the very least, it just seemed foolish to him or a waste of time. Um, and the thing is, is that Sheriff Rivera, who I believe is still the Valencia County Sheriff, um, hasn't made any arrests since that press conference. Uh, and admittedly, Tara's body has not been found, but that just does seem like a, a weird thing to do. So that was kind of like one of the first things that that kind of reinvigorated this case that had managed to be kept alive over the the 90s, um, but really started to kind of come back uh, in the 2000s. And, and, um, you know, multiple lights have been shown on it. But even beyond like, you know, uh, somebody doing a story on it or a follow-up or an interview with her sister or brother or something, um, the the police investigations into it had kind of like peaks um, or increased interest in the 2000s as well. 
Yeah. So now a character enters name uh, Melinda Esquibel, and she is a blogger and a podcaster and mm-hmm. I guess one of these sleuths and had done a lot of work on this case. And apparently at one point, and this was in about 2010, was uh, at least said she was working on a documentary film about Tara and that she had information on the body and that she was being followed and that threats were being made. So in 2010, um, state police officer uh, in New Mexico, Arthur Ortiz, he was uh, brought in for a meeting about this case, mainly because of what was going on with Esquibel and her research and what she said. Yeah, she said she was getting death threats, right? Yes. So that that actually kind of um, reinvigorated this case. Uh, well, it, it almost did. Uh, Ortiz started to kind of look into it a little more, but was eventually told like, hey, that's the Valencia County Sheriff's case and just leave it to them. So we're going to reassign you. And that was that. Apparently, um, the death threats uh, or um, I guess it was death threats that Melinda Escobel said she was getting were enough to make her move to L.A. Um, and then later on, she came back and started uh, investigating the case again with Michelle Dole, Tara's stepsister. And they released a podcast called Vanish the, Ter- the Tara Calico Story um, about this investigation um, that was, I, I believe, revealed some new, some new facts and definitely pieced a lot of stuff together. Yeah, so back in 2010, uh, when Ortiz uh, got this information, uh, he met with Sheriff Rivera, and Rivera, for his part, said, you know what, Um, there was a thorough investigation. Uh, We identified three possible suspects. One of them is dead now, and I also got some information about where this body might be. And basically, uh, there's who was uh, Captain Dongus? Let's go with that. It sounds fun. (laughs) And I I guess worked alongside Rivera. Is that what it was? It was kind of hard to tell. That was what I got as well. I mean, it's a quote from Ortiz, and he's just kind of presuming everybody who's reading this quote understands who Captain Dongus is. Maybe it's Sheriff Rivera's imaginary friend or something. (laughs) Captain Dongus. It does sound like that. It does. I knew there'd be one joke in here. Yeah. So... Dongus advised uh, advised him that there was a uh, you know a dig basically at this location where they thought the body was and that they didn't find anything but they did uh, they did dig for the body at this place right and then like I said Ortiz basically gets moved off of the case because he's state police and this is Valencia County's turf um, so so that was that was kind of like a um, that was 2010 and that was some some new fresh blood investigation injected into the case. Um, and then in 2013, uh, the state police interviewed a guy named Frank Mathola, who was a former deputy with the Valencia County Sheriff's Department. Um, he's not any longer. He apparently was kind of drummed out of the, the sheriff's office, um, possibly for stuff that was unrelated to that. I saw he was arrested while he was still a sheriff's deputy because he had failed to appear in court for causing a crash in a neighborhood during, like, a high-speed chase. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's possible that something like that led to his dismissal. But regardless, he came forward after he was no longer a deputy and said, um, hey, while I was a deputy, I interviewed this guy named Henry Brown. And Henry Brown was said he was dying and he needed to get something off of his chest. 
And um, he he gave an official statement. And this statement, from what I understand, definitely exists and has been verified. This isn't just like hearsay. But that um, Henry Brown said, I was friends with this guy, um, and his name was uh, Lawrence Romero Jr. And Lawrence Romero Jr. was not a... Uh, he was a bit of a uh, he was not he was not a good guy necessarily from what I understand, um, and, but he was the sheriff's son, Lawrence Romero Jr. At the time that um, that all this happened, that Tara Calico went missing, uh, he was the sheriff of Valencia County, and um, Henry Brown said I was friends with Junior, and one day I was hanging out at Junior's house, and the the subject of Tara Calico came up, and before I knew it. Uh, uh, Lawrence Romero Jr. and another guy were admitting that they had killed her and that her body had been right there where we were sitting not too long before, um, which they had moved her body after they started searching for her. And then they took her and moved her to a pond later on, and that's where she remains, Uh, but that he definitely killed her. And uh, the reason why nothing ever came of it, because he was the sheriff's son. And that apparently was given, um, that, that statement was given and written down and taken into, into the record uh, by the Valencia County Sheriff's Department. Yeah, and apparently some of these guys were involved with uh, dealing drugs, and um, that may have had something to do with it. Uh, there was also a report in that statement that uh, it was sort of a conspiracy in that, um, that Deputy Rivera had their backs, was the direct quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe because the son was in deep trouble, uh, the deputy got involved and made sure that that sort of stayed buried. Um, but again, this is, you know, uh, I think to call this hearsay is pretty pretty accurate, but it's also a pretty juicy deathbed story, which, you know, the, these always play well in these kind of cases. For sure. I also saw that there was another guy who who gave a third-hand confession or a second-hand confession like that, said that um, Lawrence Romero Jr. confessed to him as well. And Lawrence Romero Jr. died uh, in 1991 from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And it's not clear whether um, he died by suicide or uh, other people say that he was playing Russian roulette very foolishly and it did not go so well. But either way, he died in 1991 um, within a couple of years of Tara Colico's disappearance. Um, So at the time, again... His father was sheriff of Valencia County, and this deputy Rivera, uh, who supposedly had the the um, the Romero's backs, uh, became sheriff later, and is now still sheriff of Valencia County, from what we understand. Um, and what's weird, though, is a lot of that statement jibes with Rivera's weirdo press conference that he held in 2008 that that these these kids had you know she was being followed in a trunk she was bumped or by a truck she was bumped by from behind she was killed that the the people's family helped them cover up the crime um he just stopped short of saying who it was and that was it's just very odd if he was the one that was helping cover things up to have that press conference is a is a very odd thing to do if you're in on it you know yeah, and the the one thing we didn't mention earlier that's pretty important too, if if you think back to that Polaroid, uh, if you're asking yourself like, surely they analyzed this thing for real, and mm-hmm. it's not just up to internet people to to compare photos. Uh, sure. There were a few different uh, organizations that uh, looked into it, and they 
uh, very frustratingly. One said, yes, we think that's her. One said, no, that's not. And one said, well, we can't be sure. So uh, that just leads to the frustration to literally have three uh, groups looking into this and each of them have a different take on it. It kind of leads you back to nowhere. For sure. And if it's frustrating for us or for the web sleuths or whoever's listening, um, think of what it's like for the family, you know, to to hear. You'd just rather hear everybody say yes or everybody say no. To have it just inconclusive like that or contradictory, it's just got to make it so much harder. Yeah, for sure. But ultimately, when you put all the pieces on the table, which one makes more sense? That she was killed locally and it was covered up by some local families who had the ability to cover it up? Or... That she was abducted and ended up somehow in a Polaroid in Port St. Joe, Florida, a year later. Um, and I think that's what her sister was saying, where, where she was saying, if I look at this photograph, I know that it's Tara, but I also realize that that explanation makes the least sense of all of the explanations that are out there. Right. So the, the case is still ongoing. In 2019, the FBI, apparently out of nowhere, released a, a $20,000 reward for information on the Tara Calico case. No one apparently has any idea what prompted them to do that or why they did it, um, but it's out there. So if you know anything about Tara Calico's disappearance uh, and you want to make a cool 20 grand, get in touch with the FBI. Or don't even do it for the money. Do it for the humanity. How about that? Yeah. Uh, And that's it, huh? You got anything else? I got nothing else. Uh, Well, then, uh, I guess that's it for the Tara Calico case, hopefully for now. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. Uh, I'm going to call this math. Math, math. Uh, Oh, I was hoping you were going to either ignore (laughs) this or you you hadn't seen it at all. Well, I don't even know if, I mean, if this person is right. This could be one of those great ones where then someone corrects the correction. That would be great. But we'll Come see. on, somebody. Uh, hey, guys, listening to 1-800-PODCAST and responding to Chuck's anticipation for a correction of Josh's math. Um, Josh, your confidence and certainty in your math are charming and inspiring, and I appreciate it when people say something with conviction. Um, now on to the sour part. Josh, you almost had the math right, but for some reason you stated that the last seven digits range from technically one million to 9,999,999. this were true, then you would be correct in your calculations. But according to what I can find, that does not seem to be the case. The FCC website on toll-free numbers spells out prefixes which are available, but it does not provide a restricted range available for the last seven digits. Uh, if you enter 0000000 as the last seven digits to check uh, that if a number is available, there is no information about that being an invalid option. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure I follow. Uh, for example, I checked one eight three three all zeros, and it said there that it was available. So then that brings us uh, the range from all zeros to all nines, which provides us with ten million, not nine million. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Josh. So when you multiply that by seven prefixes, you get seventy million combos. Seven times nine million is sixty-three million, not fifty-four million. The only reason that I'm sending this email is not to draw attention to a, well, actually, you did the math wrong. Liar. But rather because Chuck drew attention to it. So blame him, Josh. Okay. All right. I'll go with that. Can Uh, I blame you both? Sure. I think that's most appropriate. And that's from Noah in Philadelphia. Uh, We saw you guys at the Bell House. My sister and I saw you for her 25th birthday. Uh, Please give a shout out to Becca if this ends up 
on the show. So, hello, Becca. Happy very belated birthday, <laughs> Becca. Well, she's had another one since then. Happy birthdays. I guess we do the Bell House in October, so it's coming up. <laughs> yeah, uh, in 2020, who knows? <laughs> um, well, thanks a lot, Noah, uh, and thanks to you and Becca for coming to see us live. Eventually, we will be out there live again. Can't wait. Uh, yes, it will be nice, so uh, keep an ear out. Uh, I don't know when, but we will eventually. And in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do it by email. Send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.